0: Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Well, good morning. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Friends, I'd like to invite you, if you would, to pull out your own Bible, or perhaps the Pew Bible that's in front of you. Or for those teenagers that I love so much, maybe you have a Bible app on your phone. And if you would, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 9, starting at verse 1. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind, so that that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he spat on the ground, and made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back, able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a baker began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it's someone like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking, then how were your eyes opened? He asked. The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Won't you pray with me? Almighty and loving God, we give you thanks for this beautiful morning that you have given us. The chance to gather in this holy space and to seek you. God, we have come from many different places and we are going many different places as we leave this beautiful place of worship. So for this moment, this small moment in time, meet us in this place. Send your Holy Spirit that we might see and hear and know you in a brand new way. And that as we leave this place, we would tell all the world about what we have learned. Now, God, may the, mouth, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, a little background about where Jesus and the disciples were walking along from. In the two chapters before Jesus encounters the blind man, he has been in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Booths. Now this usually takes place in October, this festival that marks the end of the agricultural year and the harvest of grapes and other summer crops. The feast provided an opportunity to express thanksgiving to God for his bountiful provision of the material needs of his people. As with any festival, you can imagine there were were a lot of people. Now, Jesus has just left the temple quickly because he had been sitting at the feet of the rabbis and those Pharisees and those teachers of the law. And he made them mighty mad. And they had started to gather stones so that they might stone him, and Jesus made a quick exit. And as he did, he and the disciples came across the blind man. Now here's what I would say about our blind friend. It was probably very lucrative for him to be sitting at the temple stairs with his cup. There were a lot of people coming and going. And I would imagine that his cup was indeed full. But because there were so many people, it probably was less than ideal for about what Jesus was about to do. The temple was about half a mile from the pool of Siloam, through the center of the city. Now I will tell you that our family just got back from Disney World late last night. And there are a lot of people in Disney World. And for the last week, we have stood in lines, and we have battled the crowds, and we have tried to make our way through. And it was hard. It was very hard. And yet, we could see. So let alone a blind man trying to make his way through just as many people in a crowded space with mud cake on his face. And that brings us to today's scripture. We find the disciples looking at the blind man and doing the very human thing that all of us do. Ask Jesus why. And then the next human thing that we do is to look at who is to blame for the situation. Every one of us has asked the very question from the time that we could speak we constantly asked why, about all things in our life and in our world. And we've all wor- watched a little tiny person ask the incessant question, why, 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 over and over again until everyone is exhausted. And then we have all asked why, as we have stood before the TV, or scrolling the news on our phones, mouths gaping, and we all have said, why, who, looking for someone or something to blame. These last many years have brought so many questions. Like, why can't we just all get along? The rise in violence and crime is unbelievable all over our world. Homicides in major American cities ticked up in 2021, with a 5% increase from 2022 and a 44% increase over 2019. The division among us is palpable all the time. It seems that if we don't agree on something, that we have lost the ability to come to the table and respectfully agree to disagree and walk away better for having had the conversation and remain people who love and respect and care for each other. Mass shootings. Why? Why are schools and supermarkets and places of worship unsafe? It has only furthered the divide, even in our own community this year. Who is to blame? Well, some would say mental health issues. Others would say gun manufacturers. Others, policymakers. We are all looking to place blame somewhere as if that will make it better instead of coming together to find a way so that more innocent people won't die. Why COVID? How many of us have said that? Why? Where did it come from? Who's to blame? What are we going to do about it? It has robbed us of so many moments, and so many people have died. Who? What? When? Where? Why? The war in Ukraine. Why? Awful. Just awful. That people are brutally dying every day and being displaced. Inflation, high gas prices, the economy, food shortages for our youngest babies. We look to point the finger at the ripple effect. Why, we asked, when someone is diagnosed with a life-changing illness, loses a job, finds themselves at the end of a marriage, someone dies. We all ask the same questions the disciples are asking Jesus. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. It's clear as mud, isn't it? My mantra all through the last three years, COVID, masking, shootings. When we were in lockdown, as things were canceled, people died in breathtaking numbers. And now for me as a youth minister, facing the most significant mental health challenges among our teenagers. I kept saying, and I keep saying to myself over and over again, God will make something beautiful out of this. He has to. He must. God will make something good. God makes everything beautiful in his time. Sometimes it's just so hard to believe, isn't it? God's timing is rarely our own timing. And oh, the lessons that we would miss if we didn't wait on what God will reveal to us when he is ready. This is that moment for the blind man, the moment he has been waiting for, hoping for, praying for, and I would dare say gave up on long ago, and yet, only partially, because deep, deep, deep within all of us, we have a little candle burning of hope. Then Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Early in the Gospel of John, the first chapter, we read the very poignant and beautiful verse that we read at our Lessons and Carols every Christmas. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being In him was life, and life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. Jesus isn't restoring something this man had lost. He gives the man a brand new perception and a chance to see this wonderful light that he had never seen, the light of day and the light of the one who brought light into the world. He is being called out of darkness, both literally and figuratively, and into the wonderful light of Jesus. Jesus affirms that he indeed is the light of the world and the only light that can heal blindness. In the Psalms and Isaiah, we read that the Messiah would be the only one able to heal the blind giving sight to those who cannot see, not only physically heal people from their blindness, he also is the one who helps us see our own inner blindness that prevents us from seeing the truth. John doesn't want us to miss the importance of this particular point, and he mentions blindness 13 times in the chapter nine alone, five of which in reference to this blind man. This isn't the first time that Jesus has healed a blind person. In the Gospel of Matthew, he heals the blind man with a touch. In the Gospel of Mark, he heals with his spit, and now with dirt and spit. But here is what I find the most beautiful thing in this muddy, dirty moment is that Jesus uses the very thing that God created his beloved children out of in the very beginning. In Genesis 2, we read that God spoke all the world into existence. He separated light from dark, earth from sky, water from land. He spoke the animals to walk and be on the earth. But humans, his beloved children, us humans, he got dirty. He dug into the earth. He formed us in the very image he had for each one of us. And he gave us his own life-giving breath. In this moment, Jesus gets dirty. He digs into the earth. He spits into it and forms a holy, healing mud. And then smears it on the eyes of the blind man. In our household, before any of our children leave, we always say this, remember who you are and what you're about. I believe that Jesus used this moment to remind the blind man through this dirty, muddy thing who he was and what he's about. I know that this will be shocking to you. I was born a teeny tiny baby teeny tiny, barely over five pounds. My dad tells me that he could hold my fiery red-headed head in the palm of his hand, and my tiny toes would touch right here in the crook of his arm. It wasn't long after I was born that my parents realized I had something wrong with my right eye and took me to the doctor. I was diagnosed with a congenital iris coloboma, an iris coloboma is a hole or defect in the iris of the eye. Now most people, their iris colobomas are cat eye shape, up and down, but not me. Mine is a teardrop shape and it goes off to the side. It causes me to squint a lot when I'm outside because my iris can't fully close. When I was a toddler, my parents realized that I had developed a lazy eye in that eye as well, so it drifted and darted. I wasn't so steady on my feet. Now, Dad isn't sure that if it was all to blame that I couldn't see well on the right side, or if it was the cable twister braces that I had to wear to correct my turned-in legs. Yes, just like Forrest Gump. Nonetheless, back to the ophthalmologist we went. They decided I need glasses for sure, but that I also needed to wear an eye patch on my good eye so it might strengthen the muscles in my right eye and hopefully help me regain sight. So, as you can imagine, as a tiny little toddler, I was less than pleased to have to wear glasses, let alone a patch on my eye. My poor parents trying to keep that patch on. But they did it. I did it. And slowly but surely, I began to see better. Not perfect, but better than it was. And I still struggle with that eye to this day. But it's not easy, and I still struggle, and I know that God is in all of it that I might be able to see. My parents prayed. I know they did. They prayed hard that I would have sight, that my eyes would work, but they also partnered with the doctors so that I might regain that sight. They partnered with God in my healing. Jesus invites the blind man to participate in his own healing too, saying to him, go wash in the Pool of Siloam, again not an easy task for a blind man, with mud caked on his face to push through the crowds half a mile to the water, that will reveal his sight. But without hesitation, he does it. He does what he's asked to do, and he goes and he makes his way to the pool, a walking billboard of God's grace. Washes his face and can immediately see, and then the questions begin that human condition, who, what, where, why, how. This man can finally see everything around him and see the one who healed him. He tries to share what he has achieved in partnering with Jesus. Jesus invites us to join the healing of ourselves and of our world. Amid all the hard and painful questions we have about crime, division, mass shootings, illness, war, death, we become callous at times. And then there's the phrase that we hear repeatedly, thoughts and prayers. We hear it so much that it has become a semantic satiation a phenomenon in which a word or phrase is repeated and it often loses its meaning, becoming an almost ridiculous performative sympathy and results in inaction. After the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, I kept seeing people bash this phrase over and over again, which at first, I confess to all of you, is was so frustrated with. As a person of faith, that is my first thing to do, is to pray, to think, to hope, to wonder what we might be able to do to fix what is happening in our world. So not too long ago, I stood alongside several of our youth who had organized a protest against gun violence in schools. One of our sweet girls had on this shirt that said thoughts and prayers with a line through it and under it policy and change. We talked about it and it made sense to me. But I would venture to say in a perfect world I would not cross out thoughts and prayers but I would say thoughts and prayers equal policy and change. Thoughts and prayers equal policy and change. Friends, in the beginning of time, God has wanted to be in relationship with us, partnering with us, helping us to help one another. Pope Francis said, prayer that doesn't lead to concrete action towards our brothers and sisters is a fruitless and incomplete prayer. Prayer and action must always be profoundly united. I agree. Through thoughts and prayers, we can make policy and change. And all the things that are dividing us and putting us sideways with each other can be resolved. I believe it. I don't know how, but I believe that God makes everything beautiful in his time. Finally, in our scripture, the question that is asked at the very end, well, where is this man? The people around the now healed man asked, where is Jesus? And we ask that question too, don't we? All the time. Where are you, God? And can I tell you with great confidence that right here, God is here walking alongside of us, spitting in the dirt, and making clay to put on whatever makes us sick, whatever sin we carry, wherever you may be sitting, and then inviting us to participate in our own healing. Diana Simons, a writer and blogger that I follow, reminds us that the kingdom of God requires active participation, You can't sit and listen and assume that you do not have to do anything as long as you believe. Whatever you hear or learn, you are required to act on. We pray this every Sunday. We just prayed it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the beginning of making the world more like heaven. The next is to actively come alongside those prayers and partner with God. So friends, I find it curious on this second Sunday in Pentecost where we celebrate the birth of the church and the fire of the Holy Spirit coming upon us all that we might spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And on Juneteenth, Freedom Day, we recognize that we are invited to participate in our own healing and the healing of the world. Freedom from whatever binds us. The very day we celebrate the end of slavery and lift up those who are held captive for so long, we too have a chance to participate in the healing of our brothers and sisters. Friends, there is so much work and love and prayer and action left to do. And I pray that is just what we'll do. So now, it is also Conference Sunday, and our dear, beloved Senior Minister, Reverend Dr. Glenn Kinken is away, but I might say this to you on his behalf. May we not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Amen. <laughs>